start the um, new year, we're going to start in the book of James. The overall title is going to be, Be a Doer of the Word. And this title has always captured me since I was new in the faith 20-some years ago because I was worried about being deceived. I was worried that I would come to faith and I, I, was, I was hungry. I came from a drug addict background, a lot of brokenness in my life. And I, I was wondering how I was going to stay and be rooted and grounded in truth. And as I was reading the book of James, it stood out to me that if you are a doer of the word and not just a hearer, you will not be deceived. Now, there are things I realize that people that do do the Word sometimes do get deceived. But when I see this Word, I realize that I'm not just meant to be a hearer, but I'm meant to walk this thing out. And as I began the journey 20-some years ago, I have great joy today that it's not all perfect, and I don't do all things right all the time, but I know that I'm on the right path. Because I am a doer of the Word. And so over this series, uh, series we are going to talk. It's going to take us a while to get through. Although it's a small book, it's going to take us a while because we're going to go verse by verse. And we're going to kind of hopefully see it and go by topics as we look through it. And I'm very excited. But there is something that is to be grasped. And we'll cover three points as I always do. Who is James, which is the introduction, and then we're going to talk about various trials, and then we're going to talk about how to stand tall in the midst of various trials. I will try to go quickly this morning because the children are with us, but also we have communion to do this morning at the end of service, but we'll see what happens, okay? I promise nothing. The Packers are not in the playoffs, so it doesn't matter. We're good. Um, and the Seahawks got beat by the Cowboys. Um, that, was a poke, that was a poke at Angel back there um, as a Seahawks fan. So if you are part of our church, you have to be a Packers fan. Uh, <laughs> so that's not true. All right, so let's, I want to start explaining the book of James to you just real cre- quickly and briefly. But first I want to talk about how many of you heard the story or read the book Unbroken? phenomenal, phenomenal book. It's one of those books that it's a, it's a biography about a man, uh, uh, and he's a, a really awesome guy. And he's phenomenal in the sense that it's the book that you can't put down. And it's usually biographies, you kind of pick them up, you put them down. But this one is a page-turner because of the suffering that he's went through. So if you haven't read it, I'm sorry, I'm going to kind of burst the bubble, but I do say read it. But all of a sudden, he was a guy that ran, was going to go to the Olympics, and his name is Louis Zamperino, and he was going to go to the Olympics, and he was going to try to break the four-minute mile barrier. And he was close to doing it. But all of a sudden, he finds himself in war, And so he has to put all that to the side, and he finds himself all of a sudden in the the Pacific Ocean because his plane has been, uh, it has has landed in the ocean, and he spends a lot of days and nights in the ocean. There's a movie, but I, I would suggest reading the book first. 
But watch, there's two movies um, to this story. But as he's sitting there and he's struggling through life and he's not a believer, he is far from being a believer. Okay, and, but he's in the ocean and he's seeing that all around him there's death and that there's sharks all around him waiting for him to be a part of the ocean. So as they're in the ocean, they're sitting there going through trouble and suffering and sorrow. And then all of a sudden, they find this big ship. And this big ship is going to be their savior, right? Wrong. It's a Japanese army. And if you know anything about the Japanese army, if you watch the movie and different movies, they were cruel to their war prisoners. Prisoners of war. So they took him, and not only was he, you know, how can you do it? Your plane was down in the ocean. You were going to die. You were spent a lot of time, too much time, in the ocean, then all of a sudden you find yourself in the hands of the enemy. And you're wondering what's happening. And then not only in that jail, the jailer was actually jealous of Louis because he was a prominent athlete in the world and was going to be an Olympic star. And so this Japanese guy was upset. And so Louis had to go through a lot of persecution and suffering just because of who he was, and this guy didn't like him. And so the reason I share that story with you, and there is redemption to the story, because when he comes back to the United States, he was free of all that suffering and all the post-trauma that goes on with that. He finds himself an alcoholic, but then he finds himself in a Billy Graham crusade, and he gives his heart to Jesus, and the rest of the story is written in the book. Why do I pick that story this morning? Because suffering is like that. Trials is like that. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Is that all of a sudden it's like a Mack truck that just hits you unexpectedly. You don't know where it comes from. You didn't ask for it. And you didn't realize that since you were born that you were going to have to face suffering and trial. And that's where we find ourselves in the book of James today. And we're only going to talk about the first four verses of it, but I want to introduce to you the author. The author actually has brought a little bit of controversy to the Christian world. Why? Because he has an emphasis on doing works. You see, even in the midst of the time, the Reformers really didn't like the book of James because they thought it was contrary to the teachings of Paul. Because Paul says, and we all know this, that the work of Christ and salvation has nothing to do with us, right? We all agree that the works of salvation is everything to do with the cross. That's why every one of us can stand here today, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be assured that you are under the grace of Jesus Christ this morning. Because it's His work. But then, works is the fruit of our salvation. And they really go together. And so as they, we understand the book of James more, and even Martin Luther, which is the great reformer, did not like the book of James, but it actually is not a rebuttal against Paul. It actually is an encouragement to us today. And I would be honest with you, it's a more of an encouragement to us today because some of the teaching of hyper-grace movement, that it's all about grace and we don't have to do anything. But the truth is, if you look on the front of your bulletin, is there's a guy rolling a boulder right up a hill 
I hate to burst your bubble this morning, but being a Christian is not easy, but it is the most joyful thing that you can commit your life and soul to. And there's peace in the midst of it. But James was the brother of Jesus. Okay, and so that's interesting. It was written around AD 48 and AD 52. Somewhere behind that, or in the middle of that, is what the commentators say is when it was written. Why is that important? Well, dates can be important because we know who the author is. But if you look at it a little bit deeper and closer as we go into James We see, and this is why I want to share this with you this morning, is we see that James was not always a believer in his brother, Jesus Christ. John chapter 7, verse 3 through 5 says this, and I have shared this with you before, but I want to look at it closely, and I've got a few scriptures, so I'm going to go quickly this morning. But it says this, So his brothers, which James is one of them, said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, to your so your disciples can see your works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he is, he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. But in verse 5 it says, For not even his brothers believed in him. Why do I want to share this verse with you? And these verses is because it gives us hope today. If you are a doubter, if you are an unbeliever, if you struggle with the things of God, even as a believer, you are not alone this morning. But it is not the end of your story. You see, we go through ebb and flow of our life, just as we see James, and we, sometimes we put the authors of the Bible on pedestals as if they weren't human, but they were very human. Although the word of God was written by God and was through, through his servants, but they were still human. But he gives us hope today that even a life that could doubt and even mock their own brother and the Savior could come and write such a book. What about our stories? Our stories are not over yet. Our stories are actually being written for the glory of God and for his kingdom. And so we see this is who James is, but we also see in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, 7 and 8, that then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And in verse 8 says, last of all, as the one born uh, out of time, the wrong time, he also appeared to me. And Paul is writing this. So we know that Jesus appeared to James. I would like to tell you this today. Sometimes I wish Jesus would appear himself to me. How many of you guys would love if Jesus appeared himself to you? I think we would be undone. I think it would be a scary moment. But I would love to see him. But I will tell you this morning that we can always feel him. We can always know that He is near in the midst of all that we go through. And so it's interesting that we have James writing the book, the brother of Jesus, who was a doubter, but now he is a leader of the church. We see that in Acts 15 in the Great Council. They say he was the head of the church. And so he had a powerful position. 
in the church. And so let's read. Let's get into the scripture. And I don't want to throw a disclaimer out there, but this week has been awful with my sleep. And I just wake up and I'm fully awake. I'm like, what in the world is going on? And maybe it has to do with this sermon this morning. So I'm kind of feeling the effects. So if I go a little bit too long, blame it on my sleep. And then pray for me. So let's start in the book of James. It says this, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. And so as we look at the attention and we take some attention, we take some time to look at uh, verse 1, I want you to know that not all the time in church leadership do you actually become a leader because of who you know. But there are times in church leadership that there is a succession of people that come in and, and through different things, they take over family affair and take over the pulpit. And some of those situations are awesome. Some of those situations aren't the greatest. I've seen it work in awesomeness. I've actually been involved in some great churches over my Christian life that have done this well. But we could look at James and say, well, he's the head of the church because he is Jesus' brother. But I want you to know that that is not the case for James. And how do we know that? Because he could have started the letter saying, hey, I'm James, the brother of, you know, Jesus. So look at me. Now, I, would, I have to admit, if, Je- if uh, Jesus and his brother, Jesus is gone, but if his brother walked through the room, I would have reverence for him. Why? Because <laughs> that's pretty cool. You came from the same womb. And it's kind of like Billy Graham, his sons walking through. If Franklin Graham walked through the room this morning, we would have a respect and I would have a kind of an awe because he's the son of Billy Graham and he's a powerful ministry. But James opens this letter in a totally different way. And so should we all. A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he is saying and making a statement here that I am a slave to Christ. I am a servant. My family lineage does not matter. Who I am in Christ really matters. And so the opening of the letter means everything. And you see, if you are a believer, you understand this well, that you are a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That this life you live is not to be lived unto yourself. It's the best kind of slavery that I could think of. The best kind that we look at in a true biblical sense is that my life is lived for the Christ Jesus and He is the Christ of James. And then it goes on in the letter, and I think I only did verse 1. To the twelve tribes dispersed abroad greetings. So this letter was written to the Christians... Jewish Christians that were dispersed. And again, I'm just giving you facts real quick before I get into the main crux of the sermon. We see in Acts 8 that the church was dispersed. The most beautiful thing was when persecution took place at the Jerusalem church and all things happened. They were dispersed after Stephen was stoned. And so he's writing a letter to the Jewish Christians. But it also, some would argue that It's also written to the Gentile believers who were dispersed and under persecution. 
And so you might ask yourself this morning, what does this letter have to do with us today? That's a great question. As I was thinking, thinking and pondering, I was wondering what would James say to American audience today? Who we don't see a lot of persecution, but we do suffer. We do go through trials. Some of us have come from nothing. Some of us actually still have nothing. Some of us have been through great trials. But I would say this, if James was standing before us today, he would encourage us to press into Jesus Christ, to know Him and to make Him known. And no matter what you face, that He is holding you in His hands. That's what James would be saying to us today. So let's go to the second point of various trials. We'll start in verse 2. Again, we're not doing a lot of Scripture from James today. But consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And as I was reading this, I have to confess to you today, as I was thinking about trials, I got a little bit sad. And as I was thinking about suffering, I got a little bit sad. Because it's never easy. It's never easy to all of a sudden get hit by something you did not expect. And to realize in this life that I am going to have suffering, and that I'm going to have trials kind of saddened me. For just the moment, because I have had great trials, and I have had to suffer for the kingdom. And why is this so important? And this is one of those things that you could say, hey, Pastor Jeremy, if you ever, maybe on my gravestone, you can write this about me, is that, that every pastor is something that they are very uh, into and love, and suffering is something that I am into, and I preach a lot about. And I know I have to be wider than just suffering. But why do I talk about this? Is because the whole New Testament was written to a suffering and a trial-ridden church. And I think it helps us to know that this thing, Christianity, that we've been called into is not easy. And we shouldn't be surprised when we are hit by trials. Now, I will say this, that there is great joy in the trials, and we're going to talk about that. But the word for various trials here can mean this, diversified, complex, and intricate. Uh, uh, diversified and complex would be for me, is that they are not all the same for all of us, Right? Every one of us that came in this morning, that you have your own trials, your own suffering that I probably could not handle. Just like you probably could not handle my trials and suffering. Sickness, death, relational troubles with spouse or friends, anxiety or depression, persecution, or financial dismay. All of us have faced these things at one time or another. 
And it's almost like you could cut my legs off. And I fall to the ground in the midst of it. Think of Job. I was thinking of Louis Zambino. But think of Job as I was reading the first couple chapters. I'm like, oh my goodness. He didn't expect everything that was coming. He lost his children, his livelihood, his farm. He lost the house. He lost everything. And it had nothing to do with Job. Except that he was a righteous man. Where's justice in that? God knew what he was doing. And so your trials and your suffering this morning... See, God wants to build you up and Satan wants to tear you down. Trials are not meant for us to fall away. They are meant for us to fall more in love with our Creator. And you see, we don't look at, at it like that often. But if you could go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-9, through 9, and this speaks to me so much, and so I want to share it with you. It says, rejoice in this, even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, think about that just for a moment. Your faith is more valuable than all the money in this world. And so Peter is talking to a church that is under heavy persecution and is suffering. And he says, listen, take courage because your faith is more precious than gold. And he goes on to say this, that it may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you are... Uh, Though now not seeing Him, you believe in Him, and you rejoice with an expressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do Do you understand the depth of this Word, the heaviness of the Word, that the salvation of your souls is at stake through your trials and suffering? And how do I say this? I ask people this often. When they're going through trials and suffering, how are you holding up? Why do I ask that question? And sometimes they look at me a little bit taken aback. What do you mean, faith preacher? Because I see something happening. Some people, when they hear and they go through trials and sufferings, and it's not like they imagined the life would be, they turn their back on God. And that's not what it was meant to do. But then there's those other people. And I want to encourage you to be the other people. Is that you turn your eyes to God. Now I admit our human and our fleshly, and we'll talk about this in a couple weeks, that our spirit wages war against the flesh. The flesh wages war against the spirit. So there is a battle. And oftentimes when we're going through things, we want to turn away from God and say, this is not fair, you are not just, this is not kind. But He's working out our salvation. He's working out our sanctification. He's making us more like Himself. And we don't look at our trials like that, do we? 
We want to run from them. And I am with you in my flesh. I want to run from every trial. I hope that I have a pie in the sky. I hope that my children never suffer. I hope that I get rich someday. (laughs) You're going to make me rich. Just kidding. I really, yeah, I'm not going to tell you about how bad my jokes are. Because I just did. But I am a jokester. I try to be. Because I'm serious all the time and I need humor. But the truth is, is that in the midst of life, we need Jesus. If you go to uh, Romans... You don't have to go there, but it is going to be on the screen. I want to encourage you this morning with the Word and and just let the Word speak. It says, and not only that, but we also rejoice in our affliction because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so I want you to know that you are not alone today. That the Holy Spirit is walking with you. So let's go to point number three. How can you stand tall? And I want you to know that if you go to the self-help in Christendom, or if you go to the self-help in Barnes & Noble, or anywhere, now you go to Amazon. Anywhere you go, there's going to be thousands of books written on how to beat depression, how to beat suffering, how to beat the things that you go through. This is what makes people rich today. Why? Because over 50 million of Americans struggle with anxiety and some type of a disorder when it comes to public function. And James isn't giving us a magic pill here. He's not saying that I have uh, all the answers, but he's giving us one answer, and his name is Jesus. And so as we're looking through this book of James, we have to know why we are being tested. And I hope this morning that this sermon will help you why you are being tested or why you will be tested in the future. And you can look at those scriptures later that I've already given you. But I'm going to give you a few things. Sanctification. You see, the thing about your life is that Christ is so passionate about you that He will not leave you alone. He will continue to knock on your door. He will continue to cry out to you and say, Child, come to maturity. Child, come. You're not where I want you to be. I want you to be more like me, so come. And that's what we call sanctification. And some of you have lived life longer than me, and you could say, okay, Jesus, that's enough. Even in my younger life, I say, Jesus, that's enough. But there's sanctification. And then again, how to stand tall is knowing that your faith is more precious than than gold. Every trial that I have went through has made me a stronger believer. I remember when I first came to Jesus, I had an on-fire Catholic 
And we started dialoguing. He was young, my age. He just had a conversion experience. And I don't even question his conversion experience. But then he began to tell me that if I wasn't a Catholic, then I wasn't truly in. The guy was on fire. I really believe Jesus had touched his heart. I think he was deceived in some places. And you will not hear me, I'll just say this, you will not hear me bashing Catholicism or any other Christian denomination. Somebody else can do that. I think there's believers in every denomination. But as he did this, I begin to question my faith. I begin to be troubled. I begin to what I would call a time of questioning sorrow and suffering. For my faith, I begin to think, man, I'm, am I really in? And I remember going to Jesus. This happened very constant for about a week. And even since my day of salvation, I want you to know that I have heard all kinds of voices, some weird voices that just blasphemed the truth of God's Word in my early days. And I had to go to Christ often. And so part of knowing truth, too, is knowing who Christ is, but knowing how to stand tall is knowing truth. But as I went through these things, one time I knew that this suffering and sorrow was not from Jesus. So I want you to know that not all suffering and sorrow is from Jesus, nor is it all from the enemy. But I remember saying this, very vivid, God, I'm struggling. I'm struggling in my faith. I don't know if this trial is from you. Will you take it away if it's not? I got up the very next day and all my troubles had lifted. I will tell you this much. From that experience, I stand here today, 20 years later, firm in my salvation experience, firm on the rock of who Jesus Christ is because of my trials and because of my suffering. Have I been tempted to walk away? Not really. Have I been tempted to look another away? Yes. But through every trial and suffering, my faith is coming through. And the sad part that makes me really sad this morning is there's going to be other times that I'm going to be tested. And I don't like it. But I want you to know this. You need to know why you're being tested. That you may be mature, complete, and lacking nothing. We are called to be mature believers. And some of you today that are newly walking your faith, you're thinking, I can't make it another five years. I used to think the same thing. I can't do this. But I'm doing it. And James is telling us, this is the encouragement from just the first four verses, is that you can do it too. There's a purpose. And so we can ask these questions, and we should make trials and tests serve us instead of us serving them. Why? Because it serves the purpose of God in our lives, we only need to submit to God. And listen to this. Some of us need to know this, and you need to write it down, is that it is not a sin to be tested or tried. How many of you, 
And I would like to see hands this morning. How many of you, because of a trial or circumstance, you have asked God if you have sinned against Him? Almost every one of us. Because that's our default mode. Now, we should ask God, is there anything that I have done? Is there anything that I've grieved you? But it doesn't always mean, and if He doesn't bring anything to your heart, anything to your attention, leave it alone. And rejoice. And so we can ask this question, how is this trial I am going through now making more, me more obedient? Did you know Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, learned obedience through what? Suffering. Jesus learned obedience through suffering. So why would we think it would be anything else for us? But there's also more reasons, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to hurry real quick. But I want us to look at the book of James in a different light. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-4 through 4 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Think about it just for a moment. Your affliction today and your suffering is not just for you. It's for somebody coming behind you. And I love it that when I'm sitting in a counseling session with anybody that comes in my office, and there are some stories that I can't relate to, I have to admit, but almost all the stories so far I can relate to because what my life has brought me in the experiences. And that brings a comfort to those I am talking to. Your life and your trials is not meant for you alone. It's meant for others. And then it goes on in 1 Peter 4.19, Entrust your souls to the Creator while doing good. So here's, how can you stand tall? Then this is, I, I just hope you write these things down. How can you stand tall? It's by doing good and trusting your soul to your Creator. And don't give up doing good. You see, some of us want to give in and say, I can't come to church today. And some of us may not be here today because of what they're going through. But I want to encourage you today that if you struggle in any way, don't stop coming to church. You see, the one of the greatest lies is to say, you're not good enough, these people don't like you. But I'm just telling you, in this church, Cornerstone, and a lot of other churches, is that you are right at home with fellow believers. Standing tall would mean you don't give in, you commit your souls to the Creator while doing good. And here are some practical steps also for you to stand tall and as Anna Lee and her dad come, Greg, we'll get ready to partake in communion. 
Here's how we can stand tall in the midst of what we're going through. And this is why you will hear people say quiet times are so important. Because even when my soul is dry, even when I'm struggling through life, there's one constant, and it's God's Word. Read your Bibles. I realize today that some of you may not understand everything you read in your Bible. I get it. Some of you feel like you know already all that you need to know. I don't get that. Read your Bibles. You can stand tall. Worship. No matter your circumstance, worship. Praise Him. Give Him glory. Rejoice in your suffering. Rejoice in your sorrows and your trials. Why can you rejoice this morning? Because you know it is working out something good in your life. And the third And just as important as reading your Bibles, pray. God wants to hear from His children. Even if it's uttering a prayer for some of you, Lord, bless my day. Lord, I need you today. I cannot do this day without you. And then the last, I've already alluded to it. And we experienced this really well in Wisconsin. The dark days of winter. For some of us, these can be the darkest days of your year. Some of you struggle through winter. And how I want to encourage you this morning is get yourself out of bed, come to church, and have fellowship with one another. You see, I constantly have to push myself to do things I don't want to do because I know they're the right thing to do. And so I want to encourage you this morning is that you can stand tall in the midst of it all. So if you'd stand with me this morning and as Brother Greg is strumming the guitar and we get ready for a communion... I want to encourage you this morning that, you know, it may be something you're like, this doesn't apply to me, and I get that. And there's lots of times that I'll hear a message, and then I'm like, huh, that was good, or yeah, it just didn't apply. So if that's you, pray for us around you. But if that's you this morning, or it's going to be you in the future, take hope. Christ has you, and He is with you. The Bible says He will never leave us, He will never forsake us. And you know there's a scripture, and guys, I'm sorry for going on, but not really, but there's, there's a psalm that says, He takes my right hand, and I will never go headlong. I will never fall face down. And so what I do oftentimes in the midst of life and when I'm walking and praying, I'll reach my hand out and I'll feel the grips of my Creator holding my hand and it gives me confidence, confidence to keep walking. And so as we take communion this morning, we'll do it together. I want you to think about it this morning that the body of Jesus Christ was broken for you 
and his blood was shed for you. And when you partake of communion, you are actually saying that he bore my diseases, he took upon the curse and my sickness. But then he also made a new covenant with us that all my sins will be wiped away and I am made brand new and whole. And that is your hope today, is that no matter where you are at in life, that you can get up and you can keep walking because of Jesus Christ and His blood and His righteousness.